Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Today I have a message for you that I want to share, and it's called, What Is It? So if you do have your Bible, your phone, your tablet, we're going to be looking at a majority of our scriptures, and it will also be on the screen, but we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 16. So after 400 years of slavery, if you remember the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and Israel has just experienced the greatest miracle beyond their wildest imaginations. I'm sure that they're in slavery, no hope to be delivered, and God brings them out by his mighty power. He hand delivers them from the Egyptians. It says because he heard their grumbling. He heard their complaining. Remember that they were under the taskmasters. That they were even told to make bricks without straw. And they were beaten in their quota. And it was terrible. And they were slaves. Slaves don't get to decide what time they get up in the morning and all that awfulness that goes with slavery. And God hand delivers them. In fact, God gives them a deliverer, Moses, And we looked at him just a few weeks ago and how God, even in Moses' life, gave a miracle because Moses should have been thrown in the river, as was the command of Pharaoh. But it says his mom hid him and then put him in the little basket and put it in the tar in the pitch and sent him off. So he was a miracle. And then here he is being used by God as a miracle. He was the instrument chosen by God to bring the people out of slavery The miraculous was a daily occurrence with them. And I just want to pause for a moment because sometimes we can get caught up in this idea of the miraculous, but we need to note that the the Israelites encountered the miraculous daily and their hearts were hard as stone. And I know we want the miraculous, but that isn't necessarily an indication of a soft heart or God working in our lives. They encountered the miraculous every day. And it's always said they were stiff-necked people. They never seemed to get what God was showing them. So they saw the miraculous daily. And so what do we read in in the scriptures about them? Is it always thanksgiving? And are they always praising God? What we normally hear is a lot of grumbling and complaining. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Be careful because it's highly contagious. Start to complain at work, start to complain at home, and it spreads faster than COVID. It spreads and it comes We're not even looking for it. It's contagious. They had a bad habit of seeing everything from the negative position in every situation. God was working among them, and they chose, and if you don't know this, it is a choice. They chose to complain. We actually have a choice to not complain, and I know we don't think that because we want to complain, and sometimes it's fun to complain. We can have hearts of gratitude. It's a choice. If we choose to have this heart of gratitude, I know it can be hard, but we can praise through difficulties and trials and pain. And I really believe that somehow, if you can find that key of praising in the middle of the trial or praising when the answer hasn't come, I just think there's something that you unlock with God. I think there's something that... that that gets unlocked with God, learning that to praise him. Like Job said, even though he slay me, and Job had onslaught of stuff coming against him, and he still found a way to say, I will not curse the Lord. Beginning in verse one, and they set out from Elam. 
All right, we're there. We're in there. If you ever wondered, we're right there in Exodus. They set out from Elam and all the congregations of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation, so again, contagious, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What a dangerous predicament. They say that they would rather have died in Egypt than to be free and in the care of God. They'd rather have died slaves. Oh, that if God would have just killed us in Egypt while we were slaves, we had all that meat to eat. Well, if you look at it, no, they really didn't. They didn't have all that they thought that they did. They even go further and say that they'd rather have died as slaves by his hand than to be free. Because remember, that's what they asked God. Free us. We're under this slavery in Egypt. Will you help us? And he sends Moses. They are, in essence, accusing God of wrongdoing. It has only been about a month since they've left Egypt. So it's not 20 years down the road. This is just a month. I remember seeing, I think somebody put a video or it was an advert or something, but it was a little kid who was fed up at home and he packed his little bag and put it on his shoulder and he ran away from home. And of course, one hour later and his stomach was growling, he couldn't wait to get back home. This isn't a long time. This is only a month. Their bellies are growling and they think they'll starve to death. How many of you with your kids said, mom, dad, I'm starving to death. And it's like they haven't even missed a single meal. Somehow, this month in the wilderness was a great mind eraser as it made them instantly forget about their slavery, making bricks without straw and maybe the belt upon their back. The enemy loves nothing more than when we blame God and accuse him for treating us poorly. God is a good God. And when we blame or accuse him, that is not good. God had just saved them miraculously why would they think he'd let them starve to death? If we're not careful, we can do the same sorts of things, blaming God. Friends, he has our eternity sorted. I've said this before, that if God can take care of us for all eternity, he can take care of us in the here and now. It says that he's faithful to complete it, the work that he began in us, he's faithful to complete it. Look at the bigger picture. He is always bigger God is bigger than our issues, our problems, our circumstances, or concerns. David Guzik says this, it'll be on the screen. It would seem that starvation was more anticipated than experienced. In other words, they did not live through weeks and weeks of famine, nor did they see their family and friends die of malnutrition, or even have to kill their livestock for food. Instead, they started to feel hungry and anticipated starvation. So it wasn't like all the sheep and the cattle that they left with, or now that they're at the end and there's no food left and all the, the, their containers are empty. They just are assuming that they're going to starve to death. One month in, and they're already starting to accuse God. Verse four, 
And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? This is one of those messages where it's like, ouch. You know, they always say about you're stepping on my toes. It's like, ouch. Because we can do these same sort of things. Sometimes we may think, oh, that's the Israelites. That's thousands of years ago. We can do the same sort of things. God, it says, will provide for them supernaturally every day. Now, in my 51 years, I've seen it rain really hard. I've seen it rain, as they say, cats and dogs. I've seen it hail and sleet. Not once in my life have I ever seen bread rain down from heaven. This is a supernatural occurrence that God is going to do among them. Never discount what God can do. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. He said that this would be a test to see if they will obey his instructions. Nobody likes tests. I remember we had to take a test for our life in the UK. It was not fun. I remember having to take a test for our driver's license. It was not fun. Nobody likes tests. And again, if you study and you're prepared, maybe you can have that confidence. But nobody likes tests. God is doing this to test them. And friends, if no one's ever told you this in your life, God tests us. God tests us. And I know one of my prayers I pray to God is, God, I want to pass the test. I want to pass the test. I, I don't know if I can ace the test, but I want to pass it because if not, God has this way of bringing you full circle. <laughs> we'll go one more time, and he's so patient with us. But he'll bring us, bring us around again. Even after the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and the death of the firstborn, you would think that Israel would know that God was the one who brought them out of Egypt. But there is no telling the hardness of heart and stubbornness in each of us. So again, we may want miracles or seek miracles, but that's no guarantee that we could know that God is, is at work and or that it does something to our hearts. In fact, I think that for times that there's been like healing services or things, people get even more stubborn in heart. Even if miracles are working, no, nah, no. Nah. And then they even almost get obstinate within their hearts. Warren Wearsby says this, it will be on the screen when circumstances are difficult, we're prone to pray, Lord, how can I get out of this? When we ought to be praying, Lord, what can I get out of this? See, God's bringing us and testing us because he wants to teach us something. What can I get out of this? It, is imp it isn't important that we get our way, but it is important that God accomplishes his purposes and receives all the glory God permits trials so that he can build godly character into his children and make us more like Jesus. See, that's God's goal, is to produce godly character within us. God wants us to look like Christ. And like a good sculptor, they said, I think it was Michelangelo, and they said, how did you do that? And he said, well, I just chiseled away everything that didn't look like what he was after. God sees what he wants us to look like, 
and he's whittling and sanding and chipping away what doesn't look like his son. And it's painful and we don't like it. We need to be yielded to what he wants to do in our lives. He has the picture in his mind. He wants to make us more like Jesus. Godliness isn't the automatic result of reading books and attending meetings. It also involves bearing burdens, fighting battles, and feeling pain. It's a process. It's not an instantaneous that God just works out in our lives. And boy, do I wish sometimes that he would. But it's a process as he works on us. The purpose for God giving the bread from heaven was to not only provide for the physical needs of Israel, but also to teach them eternal lessons of dependence on him. This is shown in Deuteronomy 8.3. And it says this, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. When God puts us in a place of need, he wants to do more than meet the need. He wants to teach us eternal lessons. Jesus quoted this when he was tempted by the devil. See, God brings us almost, if you will, to a hard place, and he knows the solution, but he wants to test and see, will we rely upon him? Will we look to him? And it's not fun being tested. He wants to teach us lessons, eternal lessons. The Israelites had 400 years of slavery. Their mindsets were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their great-great-great-grandparents were slaves. They had slave mindset. And God is trying to cast off that mindset. They're no longer slaves. He set them free. We're free now by the power of God. And it's the same with us. We lived our lives as slaves to sin when we were battered and beaten by it. But when we accepted Jesus, when we accepted Christ, he set us free, but we can still live as slaves. And I've told you that analogy before, but they talked about elephants that would work in the circus. And as little baby elephants, they would take a chain and chain it to a pole. And that elephant could only move so far. And as it grew, it always saw itself as chained to that. And when it was full grown, Heavier than a car, almost probably a, a double-decker bus. They could take that chain off and that elephant never left. We can do the same thing. We think we're tethered to sin or we're tethered to our past when in reality he has set us free. We need to live like we're free. We can still live like we're bound by sin and he has set us free. They needed to listen to God, to obey him. And he says, I'm taking you out of Egypt to bring you into your own land. Forty years wasn't the plan. Forty years in the wilderness wasn't the plan. They were to obey God from here to here. And they messed up. Notice that Moses ad addresses again. He mentions a couple times in this passage. They're grumbling and complaining. Friends, this is one of those things that I don't understand. It seems like a small thing. Especially if you read in a lot of times where God brings judgment against someone grumbling and complaining. Sometimes it's in their own tent or maybe to their spouse, maybe their own, in their own heart. And it doesn't seem like in, in light of all that we could do, it doesn't seem that big a thing. But with God, it's a big thing. And know that, it's huge to God. This is a huge issue for them, and it would be a pattern that they would follow again and again until God was like, that is enough. God is loving and compassionate, but our grumbling needs to stop. 
Verse 8, Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. And they will see with their eyes God's provision with meat in the evening and bread in the morning. And not just a bit. God says to the full. Sometimes our mindset, we always think of God as too small. That he'll just eke out a little bit for us. And it says that they will have their full. They will have meat to the full, bread to the full. God is more than enough. That's what his word says. He is the provider. And we got to be careful that we're not accusing him in our attitudes and behavior. That he's not providing. Or in our worry and fear. What does that say to God? When we're concerned are consumed with worry and fear. Imagine if you come upon your child and they were crying in their bedroom because they're worried about what they're going to have for supper. And you'd be like, the cupboard is full. If not, we could go to the shops. And they're just crying. You'd be like, that really hurts. That's what God feels when we don't think he'll take care of us. He is our provider. Are we guilty of those same sorts of things? We must be careful that we're not accusing God of not taking care of us or looking after us. And Moses said to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Have you ever done any backtalk when maybe a parent or a teacher said something, and you're like, yeah, I'm... and then they hear you, and you're like, oh, oh, and they're like, no, say that out loud. And then you get that kind of feeling. God says, assemble the congregation. I've heard their grumblings and complaining. And it's like, yikes, we're in trouble. God has hurt us. So it came about, verse 13, at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing. Frosted flakes is what I want to picture. Frosted flakes. It was a fine flake-like thing. Fine as frost on the ground. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to another, what is it? And that's the message of the, the title of the message. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And that's where we get the word manna. What is it? They didn't know. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. An omer is about 1.9 liters. They're given instructions for how much to gather. In fear that they would try to hoard it, God was giving a precedent that he would provide enough for each day. And there's a lesson there. That's a whole sermon just there in itself that I'm not going to go into today. God said he would give them enough each day. Don't take more than you need. Don't hoard it. It says in Jesus' prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God provides daily. Jesus tells us not to store up treasures for ourselves on earth, where moth and rust destroy, but to store up treasures in heaven, to not hoard this manna. Verse 17, the sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. 
And when they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. Men, notice it says man. <laughs> they didn't send the women out to do it. It just says every man as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. There are a few lessons that we can learn in this. Each morning they had to rise early or the manna would melt away. So if you wanted bread that day, you wanted to eat, you had to get up and do something. God didn't miraculously, you know, just drip it into their mouths like a little baby bird in the nest. They had to get up, go out and gather it as much as they needed. It's just like us feeding on the word every day. We have to read our Bibles and open. We have to feed upon the word of God. It was complete nourishment, this manna, for everyone to sustain them each day for 40 years. They did a lot of wandering about, and it was able to sustain them. Also, when they ignored or disobeyed God's instructions, it became minging. There's no other way to put it. They couldn't just leave it sitting around and hoard it. If they stored it up, it just got worms moldy. Just heard a thing recently. Someone said, my daughter was telling me, one of her friends talked about eating this blueberry bagel. She didn't like it very much. She realized that it was a plain bagel. So this is where God institutes the Sabbath. Verse 22, and now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered and did not, it did not become foul nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today for tomorrow is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. God is instituting the Sabbath, a precedent to be followed through all generations. He's instituting his Sabbath, his rest. The creator knows best his creation. He knows that we need rest. There are people who work seven days a week. God knows that we need rest. When we obey God's instructions, it goes well. When we disobey, that's usually when we find ourselves in trouble. Verse 27, and it came about on the seventh day that some of the people, there's always at least one in every crowd, as they say, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, and this is where it's painful sometimes if you look at it, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Like Moses, did, I don't think Moses was the one that did it, but God's given him the reprimand. How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So God is even saying, have a lion. Don't go out today. And some still got up and went out. But God is trying to teach them. And sometimes in a lesson, it's repetition. 
over and over again. This is God testing them to obey his instructions. Don't go out, they went out. Go out, they don't go out. Also, God supernaturally has this manna last for two days instead of one. So again, it's not only miraculous each day that it's there that God provides this bread, but each week at the end, it lasts for two days with no worms. And they already saw that what would happen if they kept it. This is a supernatural sign among them, for sure. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste like, the waf- with, like wafers with honey. In Numbers 11.8, it says that they ground it on millstones or beat it in the mortar. They cooked it in pans and made cakes of it, and its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. Now, someone with a, as a, someone with a sweet tooth, that sounds lovely. <laughs> That sounds amazing to me. Sweet bread, sweet rolls. Keith Green, the Christian musician, those of you familiar with Keith Green, sings a song about going back to Egypt. And he has a lyric in it and it says, well, there's nothing to do but travel. And we travel a lot because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. And in the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. And we sure had a winner Last night for dinner, flaming manna souffle. He says, oh, manna waffles, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, manna patty, and banana bread. So he does a nice little song about that. If you've never heard it, it's really funny. That was their food. That was the staple that God gave them. Everyday manna, bread from heaven. And then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omerful of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. God wants us to remember. I talked before about memorial stones, things that God has done in our lives. This is something for them to remember. And he says to Moses and Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept The sons of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And just a a brief note about that. Friends, when they entered the promised land after 40 years, they did not need the manna anymore. And friends, God wants to do in our lives, he wants to be our provider and provide for all of our needs every day. And there may come that time where He brings you to a place where the manna is not there anymore. And my son-in-law encouraged me with this a few months ago, that God will take care of everything. And if he has to, he'll give you manna and provide for you. Or he'll provide a place where the manna is not necessary anymore. God is our source. God is our provider. Manna, again, means what is it? God has them put some in the Ark of the Testimony as a reminder of his provision in the wilderness. This was God providing for his people for 40 years. That is amazing. And it says that their sandals didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. God had his hand upon them and took care of them. And again, that wasn't God's initial plan to have them wandering for 40 years. But God still met their need every day for 40 years. Friends, he will meet all of our needs every day. He prepared a table before them 
and shared the bread of angels. It says of manna, that's the bread that angels eat. He shared the bread of angels with them. And then, as I shared a few weeks ago, Jesus is the bread from heaven. He's the bread. He was, this was pointing to him. He's the bread that has come down from heaven. And he provides everything we need every day. He is our spiritual nourishment. So just as this precedent of daily bread, he is our nourishment for our spiritual man. And you see, many Christians could be so malnourished because they're not reading their Bible every day. They're not spending time with God. And they're weak and, and malnourished. He's the bread that has come from heaven. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.